Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Rabbi Parrots podcast. I just want to take a moment and thank God and express gratitude for being able to have such meaningful conversations with individuals that I love and admire. I learned so much from the wisdom and experience of others, and I am eternally grateful. In this episode, I invite you to listen to Steve and I as we discuss healing and meditation. This podcast is presented by Rabbi Parrots Munchkin, speaking to the millennial generation. But do you, in your, with all your amazing ritual traditions and, and work with the community, work with your family and you and Miriam, do you have a sort of a sitting practice that is, I'm going to strip away distraction and sort of see what comes up, whether it's sensations in the body, whether on what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, what my emotions are, is that something that's part of your bedrock of spirituality and prayer? Yes. The, the two main, main check-in times for me are right when I open my eyes and when I turn the lights off. Modani, baby. Yeah, Modani. Because Modani means like I'm recognizing myself. And, uh, and so it's a morning check-in. Like, how does my body feel? Do I need to get on the floor and do a stretch? It's sort of like this virgin space you have first thing when you open your eyes. Modani. You don't have a name. You're just calling yourself I. And you go, it's between my eye and whatever eye the universe is, whatever God is. I don't have to name it. It's just like, I don't have to name myself or the creator. I just have to check in, like, what am I feeling and what's happening? And that's really the, the most important part of meditation is that morning moment, because in the morning, there's a sense of honesty. And we're supposed to share this with the world. That's why I put Modani on a podcast and I, and I share it with everybody because it doesn't although we've been carrying it for thousands of years as Jews, it's not a Jewish meditation. It's a check-in between you and the infinite. And, uh, it's and- only the, the, the bedrock of it is, I think you've taught, is just like, first, like just plaintively, thank you God for another day to be on this earth and to be loving and to be learning and teaching, right? So that's the version I teach my kids. And as they grow, I'll add layers to, to their understanding of Moda'ani. Even uh, my Sarah is uh, nine now. She was having some interesting questions about God the other day, just like out of the blue. And I, and I was like, okay, Sarah, you know these questions, you know what they mean? She goes, no. I said, it means it's time for an upgrade of what God is to you. Like, like uh, you had an eight-year-old version, a seven-year-old version. Now we need a, a nine-year-old version. Like it's time for the upgrade. So yes, the, 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 be- the bare bones of gratitude is waking up. Thank you for another day. The deep, the deeper one is, let me check in. Like, has my awareness grown? Has my connection grown? And mm-hmm. that's where the Shema Yisrael really comes in, which we say in the morning and night as well. And that's my nighttime meditation is Shema. And that was what a Shema means to listen. It means to observe, but it also means to perceive to like, has my perception grown today? And that's the nighttime meditation. Like, what did I integrate today? What did I learn today? Especially today's world where a lot of us fall asleep, distracted. Like, we'll put our phones down. It's, it's hard to create a consistent ritual around it. And I'm just as guilty as anybody else. The world is yeah. just fast-paced and have that. But the Shema Yisrael is like, the lights close and I go right into Shema. That's what happens with me. And the Shema is, has my perception grown at all today? That's interesting. I have these sort of, they pair together in my sort of, in my own recovery, my sort of AA world, but active prayer. And then this paired together prayer meditation, this 11th step, but like sort of as a 
ritual and practice a little bit, not fully holistically integrated. It sounds like when you're making prayer, it's also, it's, it's also meditation and reflection. Like it, it's simultaneously happening. You're actually spot on. My, yeah. my namesake, Peretz Machkin, who passed away like a month before I was born, so yeah. 40 years ago, um, he, he would pray for four or five hours a day because he was doing this meditation and this prayer simultaneously word for word because it's a long practice. And he would literally throw his talit over his eyes every day, put on his tefillin, put his talit on, cover his face, and just zone into prayer. You weren't sure when he'd come out. There was no end time. Where, when it, wherever the journey took him in his prayer, he went. On Shabbat, it could go longer. And I grew up watching the older generation pray like this. I was surrounded by mystics. They didn't call themselves anything. They would say, I'm a simple guy. You know, like that's why it's hard for me to pray and it takes me so long. But they were real mystics, real gurus who, who in the face of real challenges and real difficulties and real loss, every day zoned into their prayer. It was the Rebbe who sort of switched it. The Rebbe was like a machine. He would get up there, he'd stand straight, he'd say the words, and it was over. And you were like, wait, where's the Re- when's the Rebbe meditating? And you were like, actually, over 40 years or 50 years of watching the Rebbe do it, you're like, wow, he's just so, there's no distractions. He's just so perfectly aligned with the experience. And that's really what it's about. It's about being totally present, and totally aligned with the experience. And if you do the same prayers every single day, they kind of become their own force of clearing, their own mantras of, of, of space. We have these blessings that are thousands of years old that we're saying, and we have layers and layers of meaning. So there's really an infinite potential to find what I'm looking for within it. You know, there are times when I pray because I need something in my life. There's part of that in prayer. But the main part of praying for me is where is my growth happening? What's my connection like to the world outside of me? Do I, am I drawing in the right energy? Because we're taking in so much, like the word Baruch, which keeps presenting, a bracha keeps presenting itself in the Hebrew words. Baruch, people translate as blessing, but the word blessing is like a dogmatic word. It should, the, the word blessing really means to draw in. What am I drawing into my life? So like in the morning, I do a blessing that every word is a Baruch. It's like, Baruch, that there's a world. I'm drawing in that there's a universe. You're, yeah, and you're drawing in this to to be able to you know emulate it out right in in, in service and in love and in, and um, out in your community and out in the world right. You're, you know, it's not you're drawing in and keeping it hyper vigilantly holding on to it, but you bring it in so you can share it in all the ways that you guys you know are living that kind of service. These are the parts that I share with the people in my community. I can say, do the mitzvah. And we do that sometimes, right? We put on tefillin, you own pair of tefillin. We do these things, but it's also like without the full intention around that, it's hard to like see where the ritual is taking you on a daily basis. When I was uh, 13, I asked my teacher the that was during the prayer service, I said, I can't concentrate on anything. I'm 13. I'm thinking about the ball game I watched last night. I'm, uh, or, or my friends or other, I can't, I'm just saying the words, I can't focus. And his advice to me was try to spend one minute of the prayer in total focus, just a minute and see where it goes. And that was probably the simplest and best advice I got as a teenager, which lasted me till today was like, can I create that space? 
And uh, I remember when I was 18, I had five minutes on the clock of nothing going on, just purely um, um, present and, and shut off the whole entire world besides just like trying to characterize what spiritual feelings I was conjuring up by it. And, and that's really the practice till today. Can I every day, and in Judaism is three times a day, create that type of space. You mark the time because you're just sort of generally aware or you mark it with a timer so you, you don't have to worry about the time. I'm just curious. I actually mark it with a timer now yeah. because I'm afraid I'm going to do it too short that I'm going to get distracted. A kid's going to call me or somebody's going to message me or something's going to happen. There's so many things going on. And like, I want to be able to say like, I can do that in two more minutes. I'm, I, I still need this time for me. So whereas like last night, um, I was like, okay, today's going to be my English birthday. And I want a longer, I put on the clock, a 30 minute timer for myself to, so that I should do a full half hour without distraction. And, uh, and uh, my wife came by, she comes in and didn't see what I was in. And then I was able to just look, oh, I had six minutes left. And I was like, I'll be there in six minutes. And there was the sense of like, I could go right back in and, and be there and not, not irritated by it. And, and it was, uh, oh, it was softening it was, your reaction to life. And do you, when you get distracted and you're in your meditation and you're like, oh, I got to, uh, I got, I forgot to do this email or some like of the nuance and, and sort of details of life do you just you're like soft and like oh i just keep coming back to you know letting that sort of go away and i've learned like with my meditation it's all beautiful even if i'm relatively clear or i'm bombarded with whatever if that happens the entire time it's the same beautiful meditation versus me grading and, and marking myself my reset tool is my morning tefillin because when i'm putting on the tefillin yeah. Every day, it's like, even for a moment, it's just like, oh, you know why you're doing all this, right? Because you have to, you can't just say there's a God and the world exists and life matters and everything's precious. You actually have to live like it. You can't just say it's like that. You have to like try to live like that. So you it's actually, to, you just have to put the action. In. You have to put the, the it has to be it, rooted in physical. So this is a, one of the first things I learned I, when I asked, um, when I was doing research on how Judaism sees meditation, because there's a huge difference between uh, transcendental meditation and like prayer meditation that I'm talking about here. And one of the first things I learned is that Judaism is, a, is, is very into rooting the meditation into an action. Meaning like, even if you have a beautiful meditation, then try to do something like an outcome, an action oriented. If you have to really encapsulate what the Rebbe yeah. line is, is Everything is action. In Hebrew, yeah. was Hamaisa Hua Iker. Reality is action. They and do that. In, they say that in AA, like, even if you're not feeling it, and by taking the right action, it'll infuse with the rest of it. But if I just sort of do it, even if I'm struggling with it or at times suffering with it, like that repetitive action and being of service and hopefully doing esteemable things that are part of our own inner healing, like, that that's the most important thing versus conceptually thinking or, or uh, ethereal and not, not, you know, in the real world, in community, in action-based kind of stuff. I think that's really good. I was learning um, um, this morning some mysticism and what the focus was, was that why is action so strong? It's because 
it can fix even the parts that were unintentional. Meaning like, even if you're intent, it's not that I'm not in the mood, so I'm doing the action and I'm faking it. It's think, don't, don't, don't uh, sell yourself short. The action is the main thing. So when you do that, it actually heals the parts of yourself that are not up for it because it's rooted in. You just have to accept your reality ultimately. And when you accept your reality and you live it in action in the moment, all the things that you think you're not doing or you should be doing, they fall to the wayside because in the moment you're doing it, it's wholesome, it's real because it's action. Even yeah. if your intention and you don't have the full understanding. Uh, and, and that yeah. was blowing my mind this morning of like, of like how even if you get into an argument with somebody or you're struggling with yourself, you can do an action that will actually heal that because it's rooted now in reality and reality is concrete. It's real. I like that. So Steve, first and foremost, um, you are, uh, whether you know it or not, you're becoming a healer because each and every time you have an injury and or you go through something in your life, you have to heal from it. You've now cr- gathered skills and and experience with healing. And I'm I'm I find that that that's not something people should gloss over because when you start seeing yourself as a healer, it starts hitting other areas of your life. Like, wow, I'm capable of healing from extraordinary circumstances. And you just uh, you know um, uh, fractured your your elbow. And I've had a fractured elbow and it's, it's a, it's a devastating injury, but, uh, but the healing part, you have to become really in tune with the movement and what you need to do, because there's no kidding around, right? If you don't get the healing done, you're, you'll lose motion. So you becoming a healer in this area, I think is worth thinking about because that's a proud achievement. You know, you go from being somebody who's in the world to being somebody who's actually can heal and just your presence is healing. So Steve, first and foremost, on the healing, it, first it was just like acceptance and then not beating myself up for the circumstances and like being really soft and gentle with myself. I went through some my own emotional, psychological stress on myself after it happened and while I was in the hospital, not being able to care for my four children and lamenting not being able to ski and bike and... Um, and do things I want to do. So it was like, first I had to stop beating myself up and then softening my, my reaction. And one of the things I think, like when you came and sat with me, I remember what, I can't remember what you said, but something like, this is a celebration given the circumstances of your injury and the, the particulars. This is like, it's all, it's like the high, like this is, it's all gravy. Cause you could have been paralyzed. You could have uh, damage your the fragility of your your head and your brain and your faculties and um, and getting off with a fractured elbow is like uh, all the gratitude and sort of celebration that that it's that it could have been so many other things like you helped me really bring that gratitude in. a key component uh, yeah. to healing is optimism yeah you know and part of optimism is thinking about what you can celebrate and I think of um, Uh, I bring it up to my kids now and again, Helen Keller's line of uh, it's a shame that people who can see have no vision. And, and Mm -hmm. I always take that as, as this is somebody who just keeps finding the optimistic side to their life and what they do have to work with and what does work. That's been a great journey for me because I didn't have that for a lot of years in my life of like, and really feeling that radically feeling 
gratitude and and blessings. So you've been you've been hugely helpful in that. I've had a lot of folks around me and my journey of you know wellness, both physically and spiritually, emotionally, psychologically. So it's becomes it's all about intentional living and that's where healing comes from intentional aware mindful practices that bring to that and yeah you've put in so much work in that arena um it's it's okay to start seeing yourself as a first degree person who can initiate healing as well not just relying on other people right. you have so much already that you've gathered yeah i appreciate that yeah it fits really in with like how do you how do we be radically find opportunities or moments to be radically present to be in our body, be centered, be grounded, be really with an open heart present for those we're in relationship with. I mean, I think unless I'm present, like all of it is sort of is muted to some degree. Well, the other thing is we could, if we wanted a really micro target audience, we could just have a podcast for the, the, the interviewer, the interviewee and anybody else who can listen to the podcast all has to, have recovered from or be recovering from a fractured or shattered mm. elbow could be a very targeted audience. We got an option. <laughs> what a what a beautiful mitzvah that you this is your 40th birthday. You 40 years going on your 41st of being on the planet um, with all your goodness, all your counsel, all your accessibility, all your you and Miriam and your whole family and how you serve and love like this is like, I may start, <laughs> possibly might start crying, but uh, I wish you a, a happy and healthy, beautiful birthday. And so many people are grateful for you and your, and, and everything about you and, and your loving family. And thanks for being in my life. And uh, I love you. I love you too. I appreciate that. You know, I, the COVID was not easy on anyone and mm -hmm. it was surely not easy on extroverts like myself who thrive off being able to be around people and uh, the being able to, it was Miriam's ingenious idea of like, if you just speak to all the people in your life, your, the, your closest people, it's just going to rejuvenate your soul. And it has. Ali Adi, she's been partying, then he's